faith is simply what? Knowing and trusting God. And I think so many times we try to make it some big deal that it really isn't, but it truly is just simply knowing and trusting God. And I think about our community. I want to thank all you gentlemen for being here. Let's give one more big hand for these guys. And... Amen. Amen. And we're, we miss Pete Sutherland, the mayor. He's always been so faithful to do whatever we've asked here. And we just, it's awesome to partner with this community because God called us to be not just a local church, but a regional church. And when we first moved out here now about 12 years ago, it's so interesting. About 25% of the people in this community attended Bethel, but now over 70% of the people in the church are from this community and another 30% or so from Lexington and the surrounding area. And it's just so cool to see how we can reach out and touch this area. And we also do things in Lexington, and that's fun and exciting. But God has really been dealing with me. Oh, hallelujah. He's really been dealing with me that it's time to partner up over this drug epidemic. It's time to really start attacking it, being aggressive with it, giving our community the support it needs. Because there's so many broken and hurting people I don't want to do, I'll do it, but I'd rather not do one more funeral in this church of someone that's been taken by drugs. I know uh, Judge West was talking about a, a, a story where he was just at a local convention in Utah and they were talking about a little girl. There's a video of this little girl and she was mad at her father. He'd been, he had OD'd like 18 months prior and she said, Dad, it's been 18 months since you OD'd. But that's not all that you need to be remembered for. And then it showed a video clip of him teaching her how to ride the bike and taking her to school and loving her. You see, I think that we get to a place if we're not careful, people just become statistics. Like for instance, there's several rows of these, but there's 325 boxes up here that represent what we give away each month in food. And really what's been happening has been crazy. In 2017, we gave away 69,804 pounds of food. And it's almost doubled. It's grown 95% this year. In January, just through September, I think we got the October number on the card we gave you. It's now at 136,521 pounds of food that we've distributed. We've almost doubled the number of people we serve in the last 10 months. It, last year, we served 563 people. Now, that can be families, too, not just individuals. Up to the end of September, we have served 1,274 families. Now, that's not just mailing food, sending food. That's standing out in this foyer, praying with people. Hugging people, loving on people, going to visit. Every box of food that's given is given personally so that people can know that they're loved and they're cared about. And I was told there's five or six families here today that come on Thursday to receive food. And let's let them know we love them and we're glad they're here today. Amen. So I know just from what I see and why, you know, you got to ask, you know, why is your church here? And if your church is not, if, if this church disappeared tomorrow, who would miss us? That's the question I ask myself. 
If Bethel was no longer here, now, thank God we're getting ready to go in. Who would believe it? This coming year, our 20th year since we planted this church. Isn't that awesome? You guys are getting ready to be 20 years old. And as we go into it, you know, I constantly ask myself this question. If we were gone off the map tomorrow, who would miss us? Who would miss Bethel? Obviously, the Bethel family and people that have been giving their life to Christ. We've had almost 14,000 people giving their life to Christ since since Bethel's existence. And that's amazing. And I know a lot of those people travel, move, whatever would miss us. But you know what really excites me? That 1,374 people, 1,274 people would miss us just from this last 10 months because we served them through Compassion Ministries. Kathy and her team are simply amazing. They're in here all the time. They're shakers and they're movers. So I want to talk to you a few moments about what I believe God is doing and what he wants to do in the local church because we decide why we're here. It really is a difficult decision. We learn about it in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said this, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the other ends of the earth. Now we planted churches, we planted two churches in India, one church in Kiev, Ukraine, the capital of Ukraine. We planted two churches in Eastern Kentucky, We planted churches, we've done things, but you know what? If we can't touch locally, if we can't touch home in our own family, we're totally missing why God put us on this planet. And there's a lot of things and a lot of interpretations about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and doing great, miraculous things for God. And what I want you to realize is it all gets back to just doing what Jesus did. It all gets back because he said he would leave the Holy Spirit for us to be baptized, to be immersed in. The Holy Spirit is not just for us to get goosebumps and sit around these four walls and get fed every week or a couple times a week. No, the Holy Spirit came on us to fulfill the great commission of Christ. I think about, when we think about what does it mean when I give my life to Christ, what does it mean when the Holy Spirit comes upon me? I have to go back to what Jesus said about it when he quoted Isaiah 61 when he was speaking in his hometown church, the temple in Nazareth. And he got down to this one portion, two verses, and he quoted it, Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, quote Isaiah. And Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... I want you to just take a moment and think about that word. A lot of times we get caught up in what the Spirit of the Lord is. What? He's on me. He's in me. He's on my life. I I get to go to heaven. I mean, I have opportunities to be healed. I have opportunities to be grown, to have joy and to have faith. And and I have all these cool... it's It's about me and it's about my kids and my family. Oh, that's part of it. But there's a critical word we need to remember. The word because. Jesus is our example. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news to the poor. To the poor. To the poor. 
I know we can look at the statistics and realize that anyone in this room, even if you're homeless in the United States or close to homeless, you're more wealthy than 90% of the world. And we lived in a blessed nation. But poor is relative to everyone of where you're at. And when I see people that are poor and missing opportunities and that are living lifestyles that, that they can't break out of and they can't come out of because of maybe opportunity or maybe they've been disappointed so many times that they don't think they can try again. Jesus said the reason the Holy Spirit is on you is not just for you, but it's on you for the poor. And he says he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Man, when we think of brokenheartedness, it's a disease. You know what it is? It's not just being poor in spirit, but it's also being poor in your soul, poor in your mind. I think about the twisted and brokenness that people go through. I think about how we see so many in our society today that they're just not only living day by day, they're living hour by hour, they're living moment by moment. The Holy Spirit is on you and I so that we can touch the brokenhearted. The Holy Spirit is on you and I so we can have a place they can call home here at Bethel and we can train and we can disciple. But it's also so we can be in the community, partnering with our community and our community officials and our schools and, and other churches so that together we can not only minister to the poor, but we can minister to the brokenhearted. You could be worth a billion dollars today. But if your heart's broken, what's it matter? If it wasn't significant, we wouldn't have billionaires committing suicide. Millionaires taking their own life, billionaires. The reason is, is because brokenheartedness is treacherous. It's lonely. It's painful. And Jesus said, we're here for that. Then he said, we're here to proclaim liberty to the captives. People captive bound in addiction, captive and bound in the things of life that wear us down and bring us down, in the negativity of the mistakes of the past, allowing our history to determine our future rather than focusing on who God called us to be and what God called us to do. I think about those that are in captivity of heroin and those that are in captivity of opioids and those that are in captivity of Sex that are to the point that they're willing to become a sexual slave or to cause the epidemic of sexual slavery. Think about how broken our society is, and it's easy to get a little down about it, as I'm sure you are. It's difficult to watch any news channel. It doesn't matter, local, regional, national, any news. It's very difficult because it's all negative. And, you know, and I understand negative sells, but I'm just telling you, it's negative anyway. I'm blown away what goes on in Lexington and what goes on in Nicholasville and Danville and the surrounding area. It blows my mind that some of the murders and the overdoses and the abuse and all the things that's taken place around us and Jesus said the Holy Spirit is on us to minister to those that are taken captive the enemy has got them physically the enemy has got them mentally and emotionally they don't see any way out he says recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed Jesus is a healer. It says in 1 Peter 2, 24, by his stripes you were healed. 
He wants to heal you physically, spiritually, emotionally. He was asked one time in, the, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 8 by a leper who was dying to the point of death. And he comes to him and he said, Master, wilt thou make me, make me whole? Will you make me whole? That would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to say, I'm sorry, man, I, I just, you know, I want people to know in 2018 that it's not always my will to heal. So if I heal you, you're the only one asking me this. And this would be in a thing called the Bible someday, out of Matthew's gospel. That kid over there is going to write about it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if I go on and heal you since you, you shouldn't have asked me, you should have just let me heal you. But I have to say, well, I'm sorry, it's not always my will to heal you, so... But he didn't. Jesus looked at him and said, be thou made whole. And he was healed instantly. You see, we cannot allow our circumstances to determine our future. We cannot allow our living conditions to determine our identity and our DNA. God said in Genesis 1 that he created, a, he said, I've created man in my own image. In our own likeness have we created them, both male and female. And we have put them in dominion of the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and all the things that creep on the earth. Go for and subdue. God did not call us to be little Christian weenies and wimps and complainers and criers. He called us to be men of God. He called us to be women of God. He called us to be sons and daughters of God. That we love people not for what we can get, but we love them because we can't help ourselves forgiving and investing and loving. You've been created in His likeness, His image. When people see you and me, they should see Him. He says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In the Amplified Bible, it says downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy. Man, we have so many people in, our, in this room that you've been facing tragedy, that you've came through tragedy, or you're in the middle of tragedy. You've been bruised, you've been abused, you've been broken, you, you've been fixed, and then you get broken again because the world is cruel. But think of all those in our community right now that don't have an opportunity to be encouraged or to be loved or to reach out and to have a hand up. You see, you could have been born in any other time, any other season, any other dispensation, but you were born in this time, in this place, so that you could have the Holy Spirit not only in you but on you doing his will doing his work, ministering to set the captives free, touching the bruised, bringing healing to the broken and those in pain, helping the poor, helping the needy. You see, Steph and I nearly 20 years ago made a decision to move here. We left a significant position in a 12,000 member church. We also had a real estate business there. And we came here with our son, Parker, sitting there on the front row, who's 20. He's getting ready to turn 21 in December, and that's when we came. He had just turned, 20, he had just was turned one on December 14th. And right after that, I packed up the U-Haul with his grandma holding him in the front door of our beautiful home that we'd owned a few years, this beautiful home, crying as there's about 10, 12 inches of snow on the ground. And it was snowing in Lexington, too. It was like it is in 1998 
December of 1998 when you all had all the snow. And I got this huge U-Haul loaded out of this 2,600 square foot house and couldn't get everything, but I got a lot of stuff. And my father-in-law's following me in his vehicle and I get right and pull out of the driveway, I get right in front of our mailbox and the truck dies. It's dark, December, about 7.30 at night. And Patty, God bless her, she's crying, holding Parker's in, Junior! My name's Junior, right? Mary Dalton Junior. Junior! This is a sign from God. I said, no, it's not. No, it's not. Steph's like, I'm not getting in the middle of this. He's got a fever. You know, he did have a little bit of a low-grade fever. I said, we're going. Well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm calling the U-Haul now. They're going to come out here. If we have to, we'll unload it in one truck. Put it, we're going. Sure enough, we did that night. My father-in-law drove behind me, and I drove that old truck all the way, three and a half, well, about four and a half, five hours that night. We had rented a home at Rabbit Run, and we didn't know but one family in the whole city. But we'd saved up money to make it a year. I'll never forget my father-in-law. We pull up. It's a nice rental home, and pull up and have the garage door open. I think, oh, God, it's like 10 o'clock. Let's go in and just, we'll start tomorrow. Let's just get some rest. And wouldn't you know it, the garage door on the inside of the house was locked and I didn't have a key. So I did what any good Christian pastor would do after loading furniture all day when he had to get a truck unstuck, loaded, it quits, got another truck. He drives to Columbus, he drives in a snowstorm to a city with his father-in-law thinking, who is this idiot that married my child? <laughs> I kicked the door open. Isn't that what any good pastor would do? Broke the daggone thing and said, come on in, Johnny. Welcome home. We're real transparent around here. So. so here we are. People said, ah, oh, this church, who's this kid from, he's a hillbilly from eastern Kentucky. She's a Buckeye from Ohio. Who, who are these people? They won't make it a month. Then it was like, they won't make it six months. They won't make it a year. They won't make it three years. I, no, none of these churches make it past five years. Here we are, 20, February 21st will be 20 years that you have been loving and serving people. You know, a real hallmark scripture for us, of course, is Acts 1 and Acts 2, the whole book of Acts, obviously. Um, it's pretty amazing when Jesus said that we could go wait on, they could go wait on the promise. And right after he says that to them, go wait on the promise, you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna go to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world and preach the gospel and do all this. Awesome, Jesus. And then in verse 11, he starts to ascend to heaven. Now you gotta realize he's already been crucified. He's risen, and now he's been going around for 40 days and nights teaching his disciples, and they're looking at Jesus, and here he goes. And they're watching him, and they're starting to grumble. And the, 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 the stories tell us there were about 500 believers there that day. So Jesus has the first recorded church split. Because there was over 500, about 500 believers there that day watching him ascend. And it says two men, which were angels from Galilee, appeared and said, Be not concerned, because they were mad and angry, but he will appear just as he is again. Sure, whatever. 
only 120 out of the 500 made it to the upper room. First church splits. I don't feel so bad when things don't go great. It happened to Jesus. And then when the Holy Spirit came, filled the room, and it said the disciples went out. And when they went out, and they're like, who's going to preach? Who's going to, how do we do this thing? How do we do this thing that Jesus did? And then we find out in Acts 2, 14, there's old Peter. It says, when they stepped out of the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit, it said, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. You see, it didn't say they stepped forward together. It was Peter who took the first step. And before he could get his second foot up, they all jumped in unison with Peter. When Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And he began to preach the gospel and 3,000 men were saved and baptized that very day. Man, it, doesn't God just have such a sense of humor? I mean, God used this Jewish gal over here, Miss Kathy, you know, raised in the Jewish faith and then later became a Christian and bring her out of Lexington from University of Kentucky to out here to serving the poor and the needy and the broken in our community. Now I think about the one that took the first step is the one that denied Jesus three times. The one that took the first step was the uneducated fisherman. The one that stepped out was just one of those guys, a little loud, a little proud, but it's just Peter. It's, it's okay. You see, God doesn't really choose who's going to step first. He just makes a way. Peter was the one bold enough, crazy enough to take the step. You see, that's what God is looking for. God is looking for believers that would just take a step. Believers that will give, believers that will serve, believers that will love unconditionally. That's all he wants. He's not asking for any, he's not asking you to do anything you can't do. He's not asking you to give anything you can't give. He's not asking you to share any influence you don't have. He's not a God of just enough. He's a God of more than enough. And whatever needs to be supplied, he will make a way. All we need to do is be obedient and trust. 